Hey guys, I brought a word yesterday where talking about the different attacks of the enemy, we focused on 1 Peter 5, God's response. These four words, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. I hope you're blessed by it. God, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for how you instruct us faithfully through your word. We're so thankful for your living, active voice to us through your word. And Lord, we just want to receive from you this morning. And we want to say to you, God, we're all ears. We're listening. So show us what you want to show us and teach us, God. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. I happened to be reading in Daniel and this week when the lows, you know, got hit so hard, um, several things just were highlighted for me about how, uh, how the enemy works to destroy. And it reminded me of something that, that Tiffany and I have been praying over ourselves for about a dozen years that we really honed in on maybe 12 years ago that I want to share with you. And we've got to share the, a little bit of the dark before we share the light to give it some context. What I want to do is start with Daniel chapter 3. You may recall that God spoke over and over again about how he was about to yank the chain of the Israelite nation, right? It was time for them to face the consequences for their continual sin. And he speaks and he warns and he warns and he warns and they ignore and they ignore and they ignore and finally they face judgment. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes in and takes control and marches most of the Israelites out as exiles into the land of the Chaldeans. So here they are as Israelites living in a foreign land, no longer in their own promised land, and ruled by a pagan king. And Daniel comes on the scene pretty quickly here because one of the first things that the king does is he asks for some of the previous nobility and princes to be picked out for potentially serving the king. And so he gets a whole group of them. We don't know, but very many. That phrase is used. And so he gets out this large group of essentially young men. And the chief eunuch to the king is in charge of training these guys for three years and then seeing which of them would be selected, which of them would have the spirit of wisdom Mm -hmm. in them. And in that process, we're introduced to Daniel because Daniel starts his narrative bringing this up and saying, hey, I was one of these guys. So we know that Daniel must have been of the nobility along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're introduced right out the gate in the beginning of Daniel. And we hear the story of the risk that they took to still obey God and how God blessed them. And immediately after that introduction, and we have Daniel highlighted in particular because he's got this gift of interpreting dreams and visions. 
And so as soon as that's introduced in the first and second chapters of Daniel, we have this amazing story in Daniel chapter 3 about Nebuchadnezzar's golden image, which I think was actually inspired by Nebuchadnezzar's own dream that he had. If you remember the dream that he had that nobody could interpret or that actually he asked everybody to tell him the dream. <laughs> tell me the dream and the interpretation or you'll die. <laughs> right? No pressure. So that's, the, that's the kind of king that we're talking about here. And all of his wise men and magicians basically said, that's absurd. That's not possible. And he said, well, then off with your heads. And so this word went out to the, the trainees also. And Daniel, among them, wisely spoke to his liaison and said, would you, would you just give me some time? Give me 24 hours. Don't kill me yet, in other words. And he gathered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and he said, pray for me. Pray that God would give me this dream and its interpretation. And he got it. And he went to the king. And he shared the dream and the interpretation. And he suddenly promoted that dream had to do with this massive statue. The top, the head, and the neck area were gold, and that represented Nebuchadnezzar. So I think Nebuchadnezzar decided, well, I'll make the whole thing gold. I'll make the whole thing. It's me. I'm the best. I'm at the top. I'm the gold head. So to keep destruction from happening, I'm going to make the whole thing gold. This is... This is my speculation here. All we know is that shortly after this, the very next story that we have is the king decides to erect a massive golden statue. So he does this, and here's what happens. I'm going to read this quickly, and then later I'm going to pull up a bunch of verses that I want you guys to read. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, and its breadth, 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship the image immediately will be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. A couple things that are interesting there. We have the height is 60 cubits. So we have 6 times 10. 6 is the number of man. We have the width is 6 cubits. Again, reinforcing the number of man. We have the number of instruments repeated 
three or four times in this chapter, six instruments. Again, the number of man. So we're trying to get the point home in this chapter, in this narrative that this is 100% the flesh. It's man's idea. Verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar had a temper tantrum. (laughs) In a furious rage that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar had a double temper tantrum. (laughs) Check this out. He was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. 
Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. And the hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb, and their house is laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Pretty popular story. Most of us heard this in Sunday school on felt boards, right? Yes. <laughs> Sad rack, me second go. <laughs> it's an intense story, and it's easy to uh, trivialize it and look at it through childish eyes. It's absolutely intense. Yeah. In every emotion and every reality. Every tangible reality. It's just an intense story. Somebody open up and read for us 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The God of all glory will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's what I want to talk about. So we're, we're looking at the attack of the enemy here. And it's important to notice a couple things about 1 Peter 5.8. First of all, because the devil seeks to devour us, because of that reality, we're told to do two things. What are they? Be sober-minded and be watchful. Why? Because the enemy seeks to devour us. Okay, so I'm going to say it again. Because the enemy seeks to devour us, we're told to do two things. What are they? Be sober-minded. Be Be watchful. Two simple instructions because the enemy seeks to devour us. What's sober-minded? I do know, but what would you define sober-minded? I'm glad you asked that question. (laughs) (laughs) So the definition of sober-minded is Number one, characterized by seriousness and lack of excess. And number two, having a disposition or temper habitually sober. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Sober-minded. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. 
seeking someone to devour. You guys remember Job at the beginning, God asked the devil, where have you come from? In Job 1 verse 7, Satan says, from roaming the earth, he replied, and walking back and forth on it like a lion. He didn't say what his intent was, but we're told here in scripture, what is it? Why is he walking back and forth? He's looking for someone to devour. So this is an active role that the devil constantly has. He's looking for someone to devour. So we know the objective of the enemy. The objective of the enemy is stated by Jesus. Somebody read John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's right. So the context here, Jesus is talking about our enemy. He refers to him as a thief and he says he has three objectives. Steal, kill, and destroy. So those are interesting words. The Greek words are klepto, to steal. That means to take, to steal secretly, like by stealth. The next word is thuo, to sacrifice, to slay, to kill, to slaughter. It's interesting, there's the sacrificial connotation attached to thuo. The next word is apolumai, to destroy, destroy utterly, to put out of the way entirely, to abolish, to put an end to, to ruin, to render useless, to cause its emptiness to be perceived, to cause to lose or become lost. Wow. It's a really heavy word. Those words are really similar in our language. That's why I wanted to read them in the Greek because we kind of think to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, kill and destroy, that kind of sounds like a bad guy movie and it's all the same. Yeah, not true. And this is a very different thought process. If you think of, so we can all understand stealing, but there's this connotation of to do it by stealth, to do it secretly. So to kill is actually related to a sacrifice. To slay, to slaughter as if in a sacrificial way. And again, to destroy means to utterly destroy, to put out of the way entirely, to abolish, put an end to, render useless, cause its emptiness to be perceived, cause to lose or become lost. That's the objective of the enemy. That's the objective of the enemy. We're also aware because of scripture of many of the actions of the enemy against us. Let's take a look at those really quickly. Somebody read Matthew 4.1. Somebody else look at 1 Thessalonians 2.18. Somebody else take a look at Ephesians 6.16. Somebody take 2 Timothy 4.17. All right, thank you. Okay, when you have Matthew 4.1, let me know. All right, got it. So then Jesus was led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted there by the devil. To be tempted by the devil. So we know one of the things that the devil does is... He tempts. He tempts, right? That's one of his big jobs. Right? To tempt. 
Okay, let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians 2.18. This is Paul talking to the Thessalonians, and he says, Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. In other words, Paul wanted to come again and again. But Satan hindered us. The actual word there is obstruct. Satan resists and obstructs us. Right? So we know from Scripture, from here and in other locations, he tempts, he obstructs. What else? Ephesians 6.16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The flaming darts of the evil one. This is what we commonly think of. This is the attack of the enemy on our minds. He attacks the mind, right? And how does he attack minds? Lies. 2 Timothy 4.17. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. By the way, says Paul. (laughs) By the way, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. (laughs) (laughs) So I want you to think about this now. So we know that the enemy devours. I just find this particular scripture fascinating in the practical and in the supernatural, right? That Paul, by the by, was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, (laughs) which we know he was several times supernaturally in the spirit realm, several times he was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, Satan trying to devour him. So we know there's these different attacks of the enemy. We know that he's tempting us. We know that he's obstructing us. We know that he's attacking our mind. But we also know that he's trying to devour us, that he literally wants to annihilate us. Mm -hmm. And that brings us back to 1 Peter 5, 8, where he says, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around seeking someone to devour. So Peter goes on to say, verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Wow. Resist him firm in the faith. First of all, it's really interesting to see that by this time, Peter could use language like throughout the world. Your Christian brothers and sisters throughout the world. In other words, what they thought of as the known world, the gospel had already been to it. Your brothers and sisters throughout the world are experiencing the same thing. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced. So what do you do when the devil attacks to devour you? So I want you to think about this. He's talking about a devouring kind of attack beyond temptation, beyond attacking the mind, beyond obstructing. What happens when he goes after your life? What do you do? Three things. Resist him. No, you can't have my life. Right? Resist him. Number two, be firm in your faith. Peter telling fellow believers, be firm in your faith. What do you think he's talking about there? What does that mean? What do you think that meant to first century Christians? Be firm in your faith. I think it meant that they 
stayed loyal to the gospel in the face of being thrown to the lions, being killed, they didn't let go of their faith in Jesus. Exactly. First century Christians did not deny their faith. This is what Peter's addressing. Don't deny your faith. Be firm in your faith. So the first thing is resist the devil. Second thing is don't deny your faith. Be firm in your faith. And the third thing is to know. What are we supposed to know? Know that believers everywhere are suffering similarly. Know that. In other words, you're not alone. That's so often the attack of the enemy when we are going through something hard is we get that sense of, I'm the only one. Why me, God? Why am I going through this? Exactly. Which is so real. I mean, I, you know, I'm kind of saying that tongue in cheek, but in the middle of it, it feels so real. Like, it's just me. I'm the only one suffering like this. Okay, so Satan's prowling around. He's looking for somebody to devour. And on the front end of that, we're supposed to be sober-minded. And number two, be watchful, right? He sees you. He goes after you. Three responses. What are they? Resist. Resist. Number two. Be firm. Be firm in your faith. Number three. You're not alone. This is happening universally. Wow. Okay, so let's get to the happy part of this. <laughs> Okay, that verse 10 is what we want to hit right now. 1 Peter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered for a little while. What kind of suffering are we talking about? It's a specific kind of suffering. Right. So this is the attack of the enemy where he intends to devour you. This is not suffering from temptation. This is not suffering from being obstructed. He's trying to block me. He's trying to resist me. That's not the kind of suffering that he's addressing here. This is not the suffering from... The attack of the mind. So it's important that we know what kind of suffering Peter's addressing here. Mm -hmm. He's about to address what happens after you've suffered from the enemy trying to take you out. That's why I'm bringing this up. Because there's a lot of that going on. How many can say you can relate to the attack of the enemy that feels like he's trying to take me out? How many can say in the last year and a half you've experienced that, you've walked through that, you felt like, oh my gosh, he is totally after me right now. This is beyond lies of the enemy. This is beyond obstruction. This is beyond temptation. He's trying to take me out. So I want you to be encouraged. Because according to Peter, if you've endured that, something's about to happen. Something's about to happen. If you've, you've endured that, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Wow. For Powerful words. This is what Tiffany and I have been praying over for the last dozen years. When we meet this kind of attack of the enemy, we begin to to pray out loud and declare together. This is a promise. Mm -hmm. This belongs to every single one of us. Mm -hmm. This is our promise. 
stand on this promise that he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. If you've gone through the attack of the enemy where he's tried to devour you, stand up and declare this over your life and your family. My God will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish me. Amen. Declare it over your family. Think about what's happened in your own home even the last few months where you've just seen the, the onslaught of the enemy over and over and over again and stand up in your home and declare it. Mm-hmm. Declare it over your home. This is what he has in store for us. He will restore us. He will confirm us. He will strengthen us. He will establish us. Let's look at those words really quickly. I'm talking about the biblical definition of these words. To restore. It means to complete thoroughly. Repair or adjust. Properly adjusted. Exactly fit to be in good working order. Adjusted exactly down to fully functioning. Mm, Wow, that's good. Confirm is to secure, to make fast, to set fast, to turn resolutely in a certain direction, to give support, to secure, firmly establish, to solidly plant, which eliminates vacillation. Ooh, that's good. good. Strengthen. Make strong so as to be mobile, able to move in a way that achieves something in the most effective way. Wow. Establish, to lay the foundation, to found, to ground, to make stable, Mm. to establish. Mm. This is what you need to declare over your life, over your home, over your family, over your destiny. Because I have no doubt that in the last couple of years, the one who prowls the earth to and fro, looking for someone to devour, has set his sights on you because you're actively engaged in the kingdom affairs. So the enemy has got you in his sights at one point or another in the last two years, and this has happened to you. And he's looked to take you out. And now it's time for you to stand and declare what is yours. The promise that is yours. Repeat after me. He will restore me. He will will confirm me. He will will strengthen me. He will will establish me. me. Amen. Let's Let's go back to Daniel chapter 3. I want you to look at verse... 24 and 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. 1 Peter 5.10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I want you to hear what Peter is saying. This won't be dispatched by angels. This won't be in the form of encouragement by brothers and sisters. He himself will restore, confirm, 
strengthen and establish you. God himself will manifest in your heart, in your life, in your mind, in your home, with your kids, and restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We see this so beautifully manifested in the story of Daniel where the king looks into the, apparently an oven that he put a window in so he could see people melting before his eyes. And he, and he looks in and he says, correct my thinking. Wasn't there three guys? Wasn't it just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And they go, yeah, king, you're right. Then why do I see four? It's because God himself, I believe this was a Christophany. I believe this was Jesus, not an angel. Even as a pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar would have been familiar with the idea of angels. And he doesn't say one who looks like an angel. He says one with the appearance of the sons of gods. I believe Jesus came into that fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, walked with them and said, well done. You resisted. You stood firm in your faith. And guess what? My people who are in exile all over this land, you're not alone. There are others of them that are standing firm in this faith, even though they're unknown. You don't know about them because you've been promoted. But your brothers and sisters throughout this land have been standing firm in their faith. Well done. I'm about to restore you. I'm about to confirm you. I'm about to strengthen you. I'm about to comfort you. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning fiery furnace and declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Do you remember what he said before? What God is able to save you from this? And now he says, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then they came out of the fire and all the men and the king's governors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair on their head was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. There wasn't even a smell of fire on them, you guys. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's what I want you to see. A pagan king exalting the God of these men. That's part of restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. That's part of it. To be restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established is to have even the godless say, oh my gosh, only God could do that. Who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and who set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree. Anybody who doesn't dig this God is going to be ripped to pieces. (laughs) Still thinking like King Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) Still a pagan. So do you see in this story what happens to these three guys? As Jesus himself walks with them in the fire that is meant to devour them. That's our destiny. What's amazing is that in the first 300 years of church when all that persecution happened and and all of that terrible torture happened, 
those who stood firm in their faith realized this is not about my body, my flesh. You can have my flesh. Will I stand firm in my faith? As I'm being ripped limb from limb, will I recant? As hot irons are being pressed against me, will I say it was just a joke? I take it all back. Yes, the enemy wants you physically dead, but he could care less about that. He knows you're going to die eventually. He wants to take you out spiritually. He wants to, remember that definition? He wants to render you ineffective. That's what he's after. That's the devouring that he's doing. That's the enemy of our soul prowling to and fro, looking for those who have their hearts set on the kingdom. And his intention is to render you ineffective. If you can die in the process, so be it. But what he really wants is to make you no value in the kingdom. To rob you of all your value. Have we seen him do it? Yes. As he takes out brothers and sisters around us. Peter says, expect this. Be on guard. Be sober-minded. And when it happens, resist him. Don't deny your faith. And know that you're not alone. And when you get through it, God himself is going to restore you. Yes. God himself is going to confirm you. God himself is going to strengthen you. God himself is going to establish you. Thank you, God, for that promise. Thank you, Father God, for that promise. We're so grateful that you've spoken this over us, that you've declared this over our lives, that you've declared this over our homes. Lord, as kids of the King, that you've declared it over our future, that you've declared it over our destiny. So we apprehend it now by faith, Lord God. We apprehend that truth and we say, Lord God, it's it's been a tough couple of years. And we look back on the times where the enemy has targeted us to wipe out our faith, to render us ineffective. And we identify, yeah, we have gone through that. The church has gone through that. And so here we stand on the other side of that, just as Peter said, after you've suffered for a little while and you come to your senses, that's kind of his way of saying, once you actually come to your senses and you realize what's happened, declare this over yourself. Declare that restoration, that confirmation, that strengthening. Declare it. So, Father God, in agreement with your scripture, in agreement with this word, we thank you and we embrace your restoration in our lives. And I believe this actually lines up with Candy's prophetic word that she's spoken where she believes there's just this season of joy coming for the church, for the bride of Christ, where in spite of all the other craziness that's happening around us, that we will walk as a bride who has been restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established, that we will know who we are and whose we are. And so, Father God, we say yes to that truth. We say yes to that truth, and we apprehend that now in the name of Jesus. 
We thank you, Lord God, that you yourself walked through it with us. That you yourself held us through it, Lord God. That you yourself, Lord, that darkest moment, Lord God, as we look back on the most difficult moment, the most challenging time, Lord God, we recognize your covering protection on us in that moment. And we thank you, Lord God, as we look back. Now we can see it, Lord God, and we say thank you. Thank you for walking in the fire with us, Lord God. And thank you now in advance, Lord. We thank you in advance that you will restore us. We thank you for that, Lord God, and we ask for it in faith. We say, Lord God, restore us as only you can by your own hand. Restore us. Confirm us, Lord God, whatever you want that to look like, Lord God. We thank you that you will confirm us. Lord, strengthen us. We thank you for that, Lord God, and we apprehend it in faith, Lord God, that we will be strengthened, Lord God, and establish us, Lord God. Lord, so that we know that we know that we know. We know that we'll never deny our faith. We know that we'll never have our faith shattered, Lord God. We know that we will resist the attack of the enemy to render us ineffective, Lord God. And so we thank you for these truths. We embrace them. And we're so grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God.